0: Well, if you want to start turning in your Bibles or if you have a phone or anything to uh, Matthew uh, and chapter eight, we're in Matthew chapter eight and nine. That's where we've got to in the series. Uh, Just as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit of a story uh, just to encourage you. Um, I think we've just done uh, what we've just done with dedication. And uh, I know we said it, but I just want to reinforce it. I think it's such a wonderful thing that we get, uh, you know, when. We realise it quite a lot uh, because we have our children and young people in with us at the early stage. And then when they go, we realise how many of them there are. Um, It's such a wonderful privilege that we get as a church family, uh, both uh, as parents and those of us that are not parents of children. But actually we get a chance to all of us collectively to to help to see them grow. That's The the Bible encourages us uh, to do church as family. That's certainly the way that we want to do church and so it's a real encouragement that you, you see uh, people well ahead on a journey that are, are looking out for certainly our children. We really feel that as parents. So um, we're really encouraged by that. Um, they're watching everything that we do, aren't they? They, they pick things up. Uh, we noticed that uh, this week. Um, Susanna had one of those really precious moments with Pearl. She has just turned three. And uh, uh, she said to Susanna, her mum, she said, uh, mummy, when I'm older, I want to be like you. Uh, this really beautiful uh, phrase, probably something that we all uh, long to hear, so Susanna did what you'd expect. She said, oh, that's darling, that's lovely. She knelt down in front of her and said, Pearl, what is, what is it about mummy that you want to be like <laughs> when you're older? Probably quite a dangerous <laughs> question. I'm sure you Together. And there's a number of things that Pearl could have answered that would have been worthy answers. But she said, Mummy, I want your jumper. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're watching everything, aren't they? They're watching everything. Friends, I uh, hope you found Matthew 8. Uh, we'll make our way into that now. So we're in this series. As Tola has said, we're, Jesus in Matthew 16 uh, asked the question, Who do you say I am? Uh, so he's asking that question. Uh, to his followers at the time. And uh, that's the question that we're trying to answer together through this series. And we're coming up with a number of different answers because there's a wonderful amount of things for us to learn about the person of Jesus uh, and for that to impact us as we seek to live and follow him. Uh, We've uh, looked last week, Tom uh, had the wonderful task, massive task of, of trying to condense the Sermon of the Mount, the whole Sermon of the Mount into uh, you know, half an hour or so, um, and and in that we, we learned that Jesus is someone to be obeyed. You know, who do you say I am? Well, you're you're someone to be obeyed. Uh, your teaching is good. Uh, Tom looked at the fact that, that that Jesus kind of says that you know any other uh, way of life is 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 uh, is kind of like building on sand. It's just going to wash away uh, when the first sign of trouble comes. Actually, no, you build on my teaching. You're building on solid ground. That was really uh, helpful. Uh, to us. But the, the Sermon on the Mount, too, is, is, a, is like the great leveller. Philip Yancey uses that uh, phrase to describe it. It's, it's kind of like, if we really understand what the Sermon on the Mount is about, uh, then really we understand that we're in need of something else. Uh, because if you fully understand the ask of the Sermon on the Mount, you read it and you go, oh my goodness, I don't meet up to that. Uh, and that's the point. Actually, that's the point of the Gospel, is that, that we will come to a place where we realise, actually, I can't meet that. I can't do that. Oh my goodness, I need someone. And that's uh, kind of the point that we get to uh, with uh, these verses, and um, that's going to help us to introduce. But let me just finish that quote. Philip Yancey talks about um, the Sermon on the Mount being the great leveller. He says, We are all desperate. And that is, in fact, the only state appropriate to a human being who wants to know God. Having fallen from absolute ideal... We have nowhere to land but the safety net of absolute grace. Uh, So we're going to land on that safety net uh, together today. And the next block is a response to what Jesus has been teaching in uh, those verses that Tom led us through, the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew often does this. We'll see this throughout the series. uh, Phrases like, uh, when he has finished saying these things. Kind of like Matthew sets this up as like, he said these things and now he does. And uh, many um, scholars suggest that the the, the way that Matthew has kind of set up his gospel is to kind of say, well, here's what Jesus teaches, and then he demonstrates it by what he does next. And that's where where we're up to uh, together today in chapters 8 and 9. You'll be grateful to know we're not going to do all of it. Uh, But there's lots in these verses. There's uh, 11 miracles. Um, Jesus responds to... Uh, what would be uh, some of his followers were seasoned fishermen, well used to uh, boating, antics, and they're petrified, and, and he even calms a storm with a word, a significant storm at that. There are nine healings. Uh, that's not to mention just the, the, the many that are mentioned in one phrase: uh, He heals after being touched. He heals by touching, he heals remotely, and he raises the dead. So there's a lot in these verses for us to learn about the person of Jesus. Because these verses do come up in other places. They come up in Mark and Luke. The majority of the stories are present in both those Gospels, but they're put in different places, and there's more detail added in some of them than there is in Matthew. So it's quite deliberate what Matthew is doing here. Matthew is grouping these together at the end of the Sermon on the Mount to say, look, he said this and he's done this. It's kind of like he's authenticating what he's just said. Do you get that? And I think that's really helpful when we look at these verses because we kind of like pick up different parts of the story in different places. There's different amounts of detail given. But Matthew's kind of like just shoved them all in one or a couple of chapters and said, this is is what this looks like. This is what this looks like for Jesus uh, to both speak with authority. That's what uh, the the followers marveled at. He spoke with authority. Now he is... His words have authority and his actions have authority. In chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, I think this is a helpful summary of this section. We'll read this together. When evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, Matthew's writing to predominantly a Jewish uh, audience and roots Jesus' actions in this very uh, quite famous uh, prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. It's referred to as the messianic promise. It's describing the redemptive suffering of a Messiah. Matthew is pointing back to this promise and showing that Jesus' actions in these chapters is authenticating, is, is the part of the much deeper deal that's going on here, is that God is on the move. The Messiah has come, and, uh, and he is saving. He's the saving Messiah, and he's come. If we were to read a bit more, I'll read a couple of verses uh, from Isaiah 53, verse 5. "'But he was pierced for our transgressions. "'He was cursed for our iniquities. "'The punishment that brought us peace was on him, "'and by his wounds we are healed.' We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The next verse talks about a lamb to the slaughter. You know, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. You know, all through the gospel, we see glimpses of this. But what Matthew is doing is he's clumping together these moments, these uh, massive amount of miracles, these um, wonders uh, of faith, and and he's saying that that is a sign of that. That Isaiah 53 has come to pass in the person of Jesus. He's the Messiah. Now, if you'd uh, have grown up listening. Uh, To Isaiah being read, if you'd been longing for the day that the Messiah would come, the one who would come and bring redemption to God's people, this is exciting news. And Matthew's saying, this is so significant for you. This is so significant. He's describing physical acts of healing, faith, shocking miracles. But he said, this is more, this is a king who has come. And his kingdom is now breaking out into a broken world. This is a messiah. The one who would suffer. But in suffering, he would save his people. Do you see? So there's much bigger things at play here. There's just a, a, like a throwaway verse that Matthew throws in. But for, but for the Jewish audience, they would have got this straight away. They'd go, oh my goodness, it's him. That's what Matthew's saying. It's him. He's come. The Messiah is here. So we're going to look at a couple of stories. Uh, we don't have time to look at lows and lows, But we're going to see, just from these stories, how... God's salvation overcomes barriers, how it overcomes expectation, how it even shocks. Um, But in answer to our question that was posed to us throughout this series, who do you say I am? The answer is you're the saviour. You're the saviour of all. You're the one who has come to save. And that's what we want to explore a little bit uh, this morning. So Matthew chapter 8, we'll start with verse 1. This is a wonderful story. We'll we'll read that together. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. So let's look at the people in this story. Uh, well, first of all, this is a leper. Uh, whether he has uh, leprosy as as we would understand it, or another skin condition, uh, it, there's a, a lot of debate about that. It doesn't really matter. He was out of community. He was on his own. He was isolated. Uh, the the problem with leprosy was that you know it was so. Uh, so uh, contagious and so worried about that that you weren't even in with other lepers, you were on your own completely. Um, So that is uh, who this man was, a life full of suffering, no doubt, and uh, ceremonially unclean. He wasn't allowed anywhere near the temple. He wasn't allowed near anyone else. You know, this is a really dire situation. And and we read, um, I, I think, Quite significant bravery demonstrated by this man to come before Jesus. Jesus has just um, just preached uh, a sermon. There's a crowd that are with him on the mount, and, and they're following him down the mountain. Uh, it's wonderful. isn't it? I just got this, this wonderful picture of he's not even at the bottom yet, and someone's come to him. And uh, this individual wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have done this ordinarily. They, they must have been desperate. That I imagine they've maybe tried a number of other things. They've maybe uh, considered all sorts of uh, resolutions. How do I get out of this issue? How do I get out of this problem? Um, I am stuck. But it says that, that as Jesus is coming down with the crowd behind him, uh, this man has fallen on his knees before Jesus. He's fallen on his knees. And uh, it says he says, Lord. You know, he's, he's worshipful, humble before Jesus, a moment of desperation. I would have loved to have seen this moment where the crowd would have uh, slowly started to distance themselves from Jesus. Maybe maybe there would have been a few people that left, leapt back. Maybe a few gasped. It's quite a shocking thing uh, to happen for this man to, to out himself within the community uh, and also to approach somebody like Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and uh, one of the things with, with leprosy is that, you know, the, the fact that contact was, would spread. So it would be like... Um, If you're unclean and you touch somebody who is clean, they become unclean. So to come before uh, a religious teacher in that way and to to potentially make them unclean, this is huge. This is really huge. Now, of course, Jesus responds. And Matthew emphasises this uh, quite specifically. I think this is wonderful. Matthew emphasises the movement of Jesus. It says he stretched out his hand. Matthew could have just said he touched if he said, no, 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 he stretched out his hand, a human hand, to this leper. He makes the point of that. Jesus is willing to touch this man in his brokenness, in his uncleanliness, and make him whole. Obviously, we read that this man is made whole, completely, completely healed. It's wonderful, wonderful story. Next bit. Uh, just surprised me i 've read it quite a few times not really understood why uh, it 's quite clear that uh jesus says uh don't tell anyone i mean there 's probably quite a lot of people that have seen um, but he's uh he's inviting the man to follow uh the requirements in Leviticus fourteen It says to present yourself before the priest um, to show them what God has done in your life and that 's a wonderful um, it's a wonderful response actually it 's not kind of trying to hush this down as it might appear when you first read it that's not what jesus is doing he couldn't do that could he there's a crowd uh in fact he's saying no take yourself to the priest and demonstrate show what god has done in your life there's a there's a there's a response there for us isn't there show what god has done the priests are going to be the most skeptical people going actually because if they agree that jesus has healed the leper then there's a there's a lot of repercussions there they're some of the most skeptical people but there is a response go and show them go and show them what god has done I think for us friends, there's something in that, isn't there? You know, there's sceptical people, but, but talk about what God has done. Talk about what God has done in your life, the way he's changed you. I think there's a, a number of things that we can take from even these short uh, four verses. There's a There's a number of individuals that would have been in this audience that would have been trying to make themselves holy, trying to avoid... Uncleanliness. The uh, Pharisees had faith in separatism. You know, if we can uh, divide ourselves from, from this, then we can be clean. But that is never enough. Keeping rules, trying to impress God in that way is never going to be enough uh, to impress God or become clean. We're leveled, as we read at the beginning. Uh, Philip Yancey, we're all on a level playing field and as much need as the leper. But the God of heaven has reached out and shared in our brokenness. You know, when Jesus touched the leper, he did not become unclean then. But that did happen. If we read on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, speaking to the uh, Corinthian church, in verse 21, says, "God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him." we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, that moment comes when the holy, uh, clean one, the one who is set apart, becomes our sin on the cross that we might be the righteousness before God. This is wonderful. Just like Isaiah 53 told us, like the leper on the cross, Jesus experienced isolation. He took upon himself sin that we might be released from its grip. This is wonderful good news, isn't it? This is the saviour that we serve. He's the saviour to all. The one who uh, we can uh, place our hope in, the only one in whom we can place our hope to become clean. Not on our own ability to perform, but by trusting in him. I think it's quite ironic. You can imagine people diving out the way, but actually the only thing that can make you whole is by pressing into Jesus by pressing into him. He takes our shame, our guilt, the things that we thought would exclude us forever and he calls us in by his grace. What a wonderful saviour. Do you see that? From those uh, few uh, short verses of the leper, this is the wonderful saviour in which we serve. So Matthew 16, who do you say I am? You're the saviour. You're the saviour, the one who's come to make us clean. The one who has won a victory over sin and death, who has taken that upon yourself that we might know God. What a king. Let's look at another story together, shall we? The faith of the centurion. This we'll just carry on uh, from chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself uh, am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed in that moment. Another fantastic story that Matthew has given us to demonstrate the things that we've just talked about. In the second story, we see a Roman centurion, a representative, if you like, of the oppressive rule. This is an enemy uh, to the uh, Jewish people that, that were living there, that they'd oppressed, they'd, um, that they were ruling and governing. They were excluded by their race. They were uh, forbidden to enter the house. So when Jesus makes that um, statement, would you like me to come to my house, that's huge. Uh, it's kind of a bit of a throwaway comment, but actually it's kind of forbidden. You wouldn't do that. You would become unclean in doing that. You, you don't go uh, to another Roman's uh, to a Roman's house. And the Jewish listeners would have heard of Jesus teaching just a few um, moments ago in Matthew five. Uh, there's some specific things, a requirement, quite a controversial law um, that if you, that where you were required, if you were um, a Jewish person to um, carry a shield and a spear of a Roman soldier. If they asked you to carry it for a mile, then that requirement was on you. I guess kind of save their weary legs kind of thing, then you would do that. It's quite a controversial law. Another sign of kind of this oppression and domination uh, over those people. Now, Jesus in his teaching refers to that in a section talking about um, how you look at your enemies, how you love your enemies, uh, and those kind of things. And he says, actually, I tell you, If you are called to go one mile, go two. So it's quite shocking teaching that Jesus is giving at the time and then he's confronted by this centurion. Jesus is showing a new way of living but I think sometimes we kind of don't necessarily understand the shock and the the kind of frustration that must have been felt by the original listeners, those that Matthew is definitely writing to uh, within this context. This is quite huge. These are enemies. These are people that are demonstrating this domination over you and now there's somebody that's come uh, in this way, and Jesus doesn't send them away. In fact, he's uh, gracious towards them. He... But I think uh, what's most interesting in these verses is the response of other people. So the centurion doesn't respond in that way. The centurion uh, doesn't have that same cultural obstacle. The centurion doesn't have... Um, the same issue that we've just described. In fact, the centurion—it's something very different. He says, "I have authority. For me, it's an issue of authority. I understand authority. I have people that do stuff for me. I tell them to do something, they do it. But you—you you have amazing authority. Like, like authority. You, you are above anything else that we can consider. You know, centurion—that is." Um, uh, in the army of one of the most powerful uh, empires. And he says, But I get it. You have authority. Mm. Authority sits with you. And then he says, The second thing, which is just wonderful. In fact, uh, we should be marveled at it. Uh, Jesus, uh, it says, was amazed, marveled at this man's faith uh, when he says, that I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come in my house. You are so worthy. You are so, so worthy. And it's that comment that Jesus says, gosh, I've not seen faith like this. I've not seen faith like this. Where we come to a place where we recognise that Jesus is worthy and that he has authority. Those two things mixed together, it's wonderful, isn't it? That's the type of saviour that he is. And yet he has come into our unworthiness. That's what the Roman centurion was asking. I get it. He says, there's no reason, there's no, there's, there's, there's no way I should be asking this question, but if you would, if you would, I'll come to your house. No, don't, you don't need, don't come to my house, I'm not worthy. But that was enough. Jesus said, what faith, what faith. There's a sense that the Messiah would come and restore the nation. That's what people were hoping for. They'd read through some of the Old Testament and, and God's um, uh, relationship with the Israelite people and, and, the, and the fact that he, they were hopeful that he would restore uh, them as a nation. There's a number of promises over them. But, but Jesus is about a bigger salvation. And this is good news for us. Jesus is not here for a nation, but nations. And uh, he is demonstrating in these verses In both of these uh, stories, that there is no one beyond that. That this is the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing through his authority and grace. That he would defeat the ultimate enemy of sin. That's the good news for us. We've been made right. The Gentiles, uh, so the non-Jews, were not the people of God. So what Jesus was saying in verse 11 when he said that many would come into the world and join the feast of Abraham, it says that Jesus came to save all. His mission was a much bigger mission than the original hearers would have understood. There's no one too unclean that cannot be cleansed. No one too excluded that he cannot bring in. Even enemies. Romans 5 verse 9 says this of us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through death, the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is it so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Friends, we could go on. Uh, Jesus talks to uh, women in socially... Um, different circumstances he talks to. It. Uh, Matthew himself is a tax collector. Um, so there's a number of different kind of uh, barriers that, that Jesus overcomes. And, and Matthew kind of groups them all together in these couple of chapters and says, we must wonder at this salvation. We must wonder at this salvation. This is, this is Isaiah 53 coming true. And, and, and uh, Jesus is going beyond all of those things. Those who would seem excluded are being brought in through Jesus. That's the type of saviour that he is. That's good news to us. I've just got a couple of responses for us because, uh, and one of them will be worship when we get there, um, but I want to just encourage us because I think as, as I've been reading um, just these couple of stories, uh, I think when we try and consider them in the context in which they were written, they are shocking. Like truly, truly shocking. They're, they're quite difficult uh, to stomach. And, and so I, I think when we consider salvation... Um, that level of shock should not be taken away. Friends, there still should be expectation for us that we should be shocked by what Jesus does. Does that seem fair? That, that, that doesn't go away. It's not like you know, it's all been revealed to us, we fully understand, no, no, not at all. Actually, I think that, that Jesus will still do things through his salvation that surprise us, that go beyond the barriers that we maybe put up, either culturally or, or through our own experience or expectation. that that through his salvation, he will surprise us. I think it's quite easy for us to uh, fall into a way of thinking uh, a bit like the Pharisees, that that we may be... Well, let let me give you an example. Um, I'll ask a question and see if you're brave to admit to being like me or not. Um, Do you ever do this? Do you ever look at somebody and think they would make a great Christian? So what I mean by like is that they're hospitable, they may be quite friendly. I mean, they're halfway there already, aren't they? Do you do that? I do, and it's completely unbiblical. It's completely unbiblical. In fact, it dilutes the very thing that we've just been talking about, the grace of God, that we were all on a level playing field, that we are all in need of his mercy, and it's only through his grace that he's come to us. And yet we do. We slip into that thinking, don't we? Like, oh, they're all right. There. Yeah, they'd make it. Oh, gosh. I could understand why God would save them. Do you do that? It's horrible, isn't it? But actually, I think it's a really easy to uh, fall into that way of thinking, to dilute the grace that God has shown us. Jesus isn't about small wins, or it's not about where he might move. We, we should be constantly, uh, constantly having our expectations raised by what God is doing amongst us, A God who saves. He'll continue to do surprising things beyond our experience. That's the important thing. Let me um, tell you a brief story. I, 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 I've probably told this story before, but I'm sorry. It's quite a few years ago now, but I think it fits really nicely. I have a friend who, um, if we were to use that spectrum that I just talked about of... Um, sorry, my sister was just smiling because I said I had a friend, I think. Uh, what a horrible individual you are. <laughs> uh, so so um, I have one of my friends... Um, so if we look at like, the spectrum that I just talked about of people that, that you know, maybe feel like they're close to God, uh, he would be like in the minuses, somewhere over here, of like, really far away. So, so he was quite anti, anti-God, anti-Christian. Um, I, I'm not just saying that, like, that he told me he was. <laughs> um, so he, he was really quite um, uh, yeah, a long way off, let's say, if, if that's such a thing. He was a long way off. And uh, uh, I remember... It's somebody I work with, and I didn't see him for a little while. We, we worked on different shifts or whatever, and uh, he saw me in the car park one day, and he said, Sam, I've got something to tell you. Um, he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I was thinking, all right, here we go. Uh, at least I'm already wearing body armour. This won't be too painful. <laughs> um, but he said, look, he said, so am I. So am I. And, and when I'd picked myself up, I said, well, could you just tell me the story? And he said, well, uh, it was a little while ago now, he said, but my... My dad passed away, and I agreed with my mum that I would go to church with her three times, just three times, uh, to make sure she didn't want to go into places where she didn't know people. So I said I'd go with her three times. So I walked in the first time, and I burst into tears. I don't know why, don't know what was going on. Could not stop crying. So I went the second week, same thing happened. Just could not stop sobbing. This man does not cry. He's a pretty hard man. But he burst into tears twice. Third time, he signed up for an Alpha course. Then he spoke at our Alpha course and gave that same story. This is God going beyond my expectation. This is salvation working in the most, I would say, unusual situation. So when I was reading these verses, I was reminded straight away of this individual and thought, God, would you do it again? Would you give me new stories like this, uh, where people who I least expect it are coming to know you uh, and uh, your salvation? What a wonderful saviour you are. We're encouraged uh, to expect these things. If we were to have uh, read on, in chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, "'The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few.'" Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Friends, I read those verses as like this is an open door. Like Jesus says, Ask, ask. These things that we're talking about, they're not far away. Just ask that we would be his workers in his harvest field that is plentiful. That's the first thing. I think there's a response for us in that. Secondly, uh, I think there's a, a wonderful way in which uh, Jesus engages with these matters. Friends, so the first response I thought was uh, that, that we want to engage in evangelism, that, that, that Jesus called us to be those... Uh, in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, you're the light of the world. He says that of, his, of himself, and he says it of the disciples, you're the light of the world. And when he said that, he wasn't saying that as like a diluted version or a caveat or with some conditions. We represent a saviour who has done these things. That's what he was saying. You're the light of the world and you represent me. That's the kind of saviour that we serve. Secondly, I think there's a response. Uh, I really felt this morning, uh, there's a couple of things that um, the leper says and then centurion says, if you, would, if you would just say the word, that's what the centurion said, if, if you would just say the word, it will be done. That kind of faith. And uh, the, the leper says, if you're willing, Jesus, if, if, if you're willing, you could do this. And uh, just as I was preparing, I felt like there's maybe there's some here that want to say those things to the, to, again, or have been saying those things. I just want to encourage you that this is the God of the universe that we say those things to. Jesus said, I'm willing. I'll come. I'll come to your house. That's his response. And there's an opportunity to press in again there. If you're asking those questions, let him stretch out his hand. Matthew makes a lot of that. Stretch out his hand. And finally, we're going to worship. And I said we're going to sing a new song uh, in response. And I'm grateful to the band to, to have, uh, put this together for us. Uh, I really think this be helpful to listen to the words um, of this song. You can sing it because you can see. Um, but I think it would be really helpful maybe to offer this as like a prayer in response to us as we say that our hope is only in Jesus. We're totally reliant on him Who is he? He's the saviour. He's our saviour, the one in whom salvation is found solely on him. So we're going to sing about that. We're also going to take communion and this time declare that with what we eat by eating uh, bread or representative bread and and, and drinking um, juice, which will represent his body that was broken and shed for us. The suffering saviour. But in that, we hope. In that, we have found salvation. Who is he? He's our saviour. Hallelujah.